Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50. We're going to look at verses 4 through 11 tonight. We were in uh, chapter 49 through chapter 50, verses 1 through 3 last week. So tonight we'll pick up where we left off in chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. The title is The Servant, Israel's Hope. The Servant, Israel's Hope. Now the servant in this chapter you'll see it was with a capital S, it's speaking about Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy about Jesus here in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And in verses 4 through 9, we have the work of the servant. So let's begin in chapter 50 with verse 4. And it reads, The Lord God has given me, that is Jesus, the Lord God has given me, Jesus, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak, a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. So it says here that the sovereign Lord, God, has given me Christ his words of wisdom. The Father's words of wisdom to the Son. Now remember, you know, we know that Jesus is God and that you know, he's eternal. But remember, when Jesus came as the servant, he came as a man and showed us how we, to, we were to live as a man before God, as a servant before Christ. So he's showing us again uh, that, that he's learning and that he's doing that what we are called to do as we live upon this earth as a Christian. So he says, the sovereign Lord, you know, God has given me, Christ, his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakes me up and he opens my understanding to his will. Now, the title Lord God here is emphasized in this section, also in verses 5, 7, and 9. The word Lord means master. The word God, all in capital letters, represents the divine name of God, Yahweh. So it's Master Yahweh. It says, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. This means Jesus was studying the word of God. The word learned here is translated in other places as disciple. So it's like Jesus is being a disciple when he was there. He was learning from the Father. If Jesus needed to, to, to know the word of God and study the word of God, what about us? And it's nonsense for anybody to say, oh, I believe in the Bible. I can't live without it. If you don't study it, how can you say that? How can you say God speaks to me if you don't read the Bible? And if the Bible is, the God, if the Bible is God's word, then somewhere in it, God has a word for you and for me. If God is speaking to us, we ought to listen. If you believe the Bible, the word of God, does it impact your life? Does it impact the way that you live? We have to have open ears, which is basic for true ministry. It says here, verse 4, The sovereign Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. The Lord educated the servant's tongue. How? Through suffering. Hebrews says about Christ, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus, when he was here on earth, he was tempted with every 
temptation, with every sin that, that, that we come across. But Jesus did not give in. He overcame. He was without sin. Therefore, Jesus knows what we go through, so he's a great high priest to help us, to counsel us. He says that, that again, he has a ready tongue. A ready tongue to know the word that nourishes the weary. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul said, be ready in season and out of season. That means be ready at any moment to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Every morning, it says Jesus said, every morning he, my father, awakens me and opens my understanding to his will like one being taught. We first have to hear our own messages from his mouth before others can hear those messages from us. You see, we first have to be ministered to by the Lord before we can minister to others. We first have to hear from God before we speak to others. If it's going to do them any good. Because it has to be of the Lord. The true servant of God, the true servant of the Lord, has a ready ear. In other words, he's quick to hear. James said in James 1.19, let every man be swift to hear. He knows his master's voice. He hears the word from his mouth. His messages aren't just reasoned out. You know, well, well, in other words, well, this is what I think it means. Because many times, you know, a Christian will say, well, this is what I think it means. No, this is what it means because God says this is what it means. It's not up to interpretation. It's not up to, to, to uh, reasoning or rationalizing. Nor are God's messages collected from the latest religious magazines or literature of the day, but they are the words of His mouth, and the listener recognizes that. He said, the listener recognizes, thus says the Lord. That is, they recognize when it's God speaking. As His servants, do you know His voice? Do you know the Lord's voice? Jesus said in John 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice he specifically made it clear. My sheep hear my voice. Those are the ones that I know. Not everyone is his, is, are his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you wait for his messages? And do you speak like someone that's been instructed? That's been taught so that you know how to comfort the weary? Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We need to know how to answer people, to talk to people about Jesus Christ, to counsel them according to His Word. You know, and it's not a whole bunch of... of Words that help people. It's not a Bible study or Christian cliches. Oh, let go and let God. Don't worry, God's in control. He, 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 he overpowers everything. Well, we know that. It's one single word that may fall into one person's heart, but it might be another message for another person. It's different for each person. And this is God's way of warning and stimulating and convincing and comforting and inspiring His people. And those who can hear God's voice and bring His message are the true prophets of God. God gave us His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to hear what the Spirit has to say. 
And Jesus says here, the sovereign Lord, speaking of his Father, has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. This is for the comfort and edification of his people. It's just as important that we minister to Christians as it is we minister to save sinners. God's people need a lot of comfort today, don't they? They need a lot of refreshing. They need a lot of spiritual help today. They're often battle-weary. It's battle fatigue today, especially in today's world situation. And Jesus tells us in Luke 21, 26, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. People are wondering, what's going on? What is happening? I've never seen the things happening in, in my lifetime as it is right now. Hearts are fainting all around us today. Fearful. Do we care? Do we have hope to, for them? Do we have something good? Do we have good news to tell them? Now, if you spend a lot of time with your master, Jesus Christ, your lives will bring joy to those who are grieving around you. And you will be like a, a comforting ointment, a precious ointment to their grieving hearts. Your co-workers, your meetings, your bus ride, your, your phone conversations. All of these are opportunities to speak words for Christ. To comfort your fellow Christians. This is ministry. Verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Jesus said, the sovereign Lord has spoken to me. My father has spoken to me and I have listened. I haven't rebelled or turned away. This speaks of a surrendered will. The idea of the word opened here is the same as in Psalm 40, verse 6. It means the opening of the ear canal as a symbol for hearing and obeying and not being, not being rebellious. To open the ear means to open it so that he'll be able to hear. It's another way of showing the servant's preparation. So the servant, Jesus Christ, was prepared. He was ready to hear that he might know the divine will of God and obey it. Jesus wasn't rebellious or disobedient to his father's word. This is speaking of an inner attitude or nature. And whatever hindrances there were toward doing the work of God that God has set for him, they came from the outside, that not from within, not from his mind or his nature of the servant. And there was no outward sign of hesitancy in obedience to God's preparation. The servant didn't turn back like a faithful, like a faithless servant would have done. Philippians 2.9, it says, he humbled himself, speaking of Christ. He humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. And the Father's will is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death. There was no rebellion on Christ's part. There was no apostasy on Christ's part. There was no faithfulness found in the servant. And here's an important thing to remember. Jesus didn't suffer because of the stand that he took. He chose to take that stand. He chose the way of suffering. Verse 6. 
Notice what he says. I gave my back to those who struck me. He says, I gave my back to those who whipped me. And my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard or the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Now, sometimes people struck the back of a fool according to Proverbs 10, Proverbs 19, and Proverbs 26. And Jesus suffered this humiliation. And pulling out somebody's beard was a sign of hatred and disrespect for that person. This prophecy of shame and spitting was fulfilled in the suffering of Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 30. It's prophesied here. It's fulfilled in the New Testament in Matthew 27. And we read that Jesus willingly, he willingly gave his back to the Roman soldier who would whip him. Jesus didn't argue. He didn't put up a struggle. He didn't put up a fight. Jesus could have called a legion of angels down to stop the beating, but he didn't. He gave his back. And Jesus gave and gave and gave until it killed him. That's what love is. It's giving until there's nothing left. Jesus didn't just give his back. He gave his cheeks to those who plucked out his beard, which is very painful. You just grab a little pinch and try to pluck. It hurts. But can you imagine grabbing it and just plucking it out? Very painful. But the men who did this to him, they were heartless and they were cruel. This wasn't just painful, it was also humiliating as well. And if you remember in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 10, David sent some messengers to send his sympathy to, king, to, to the king of Ammon who died. But the leaders of Ammon thought that they were spies. They, they, they thought that, that David's messengers were spies. So what did they, they cut off their robes and they shaved half of their beards off to humiliate, humiliate them. But to spare, their, spare them the, this humiliation... The men didn't go home until their beards grew back. But Jesus didn't spare himself the humiliation. He gave his face in order to save us. We also read that Jesus didn't hide his face from the shame of being spit on. I mean, that would be horrible. We know how disgusting that is to be spit upon, much less in the face. The germs that are, that are carried in saliva. I don't know of anything more degrading or humiliating than being spit on, and especially in the face. And later on, he was mocked when the guards put a robe on him and, and, and beat a crown of thorns onto his head. It, is, it wasn't just set on his head. It was forced onto his head. And Jesus did all of this. The servant did all of this by faith in the Lord his God. He was determined to do the will of God even if it meant going to the cross and dying. Verse 7. For, and here's why. Because he knew, notice verse 7, here's his confidence. For the Lord God will help me. That's why he was able to go to the cross. That's why he knew that he, he, he could go there. He had the confidence in his father that the Lord God would help me. Therefore, he said, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Because Jesus knew that the Lord God would help him. The servant was falsely accused. But he knew that God would prove him to be right and eventually put his enemies to shame. 
And keep in mind that when Jesus was ministering here on the earth, he, he came as a man like that, and, and he, had, he lived by faith even as we must do today. De, Jesus didn't use any of his divine powers to protect himself, to keep himself from suffering. He leaned upon God. He trusted God the Father, and he depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus allow himself to take this kind of treatment? Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 12 too. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, notice, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus enjoyed what he went through. He didn't enjoy the pain and the suffering that he went through. He despised it. And it wasn't that he breezed through the suffering. Because, again, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't use any of his, his, his you know, mighty powers to, to stop the suffering. He took it all. Every twinge of pain he felt. He endured the suffering. But don't be fooled. What Jesus went through was more shameful and harder than anything we could ever imagine. Why did Jesus choose to go through this? You know, even while spit was running down his face. As strange as it may sound, it was because of the joy set before him. What joy could there be? You. You're his joy. You're why he did it. He, I'm why he did it. For the joy of seeing you in heaven. For the joy of seeing your sins forgiven. Of seeing you redeemed and saved and growing in maturity in Jesus Christ. He said, I'll go through it for you. I'll do that just for you. He says, like Flint. Notice, he set his face like flint. In other words, like flint means, it, that indicates determination. He had made up his mind. He set his face to do this, and he was going to do it in the face of opposition. And you can find the prophecy uh, of, the, of the fulfillment of this prophecy in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It was a terrible price that Jesus paid for you and me. Uh, 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 words cannot describe what he suffered for you and me. A pace that he a price he paid for you that we owed. But he knew we couldn't pay that debt. So he took that debt upon himself. He took my sins, your sins upon himself because he knew that had to be dealt with. But you know what's more painful to Jesus than the cross? Because remember, he did that for you. What's more painful to Jesus than the cross is you willfully Ignoring his death on the cross for you. Rejecting what he did for you. We need to come to him and thank him for dying in our place, for taking my sins upon himself who had no sin, who knew no sin. And thank him for going through the humiliation that really was ours. To thank him when it should have been you and me on that cross. To thank him for giving his life for us when it should have been yours and mine. 
Jesus determined, made the decision, set his face to suffer and die for us because he loves us. He loves you and me. You and I are his joy. Verse 8. He is near who justifies me. Who will, con- who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. He's saying here, who gives me ju- who, who, the one who gives me justice is near. Speaking of his father. Who will dare bring any charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. God will see that his servant would be totally, is totally righteous. And again, this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ in 1 Timothy 3.16. This is a cry here by Christ declaring that God will help him. He's saying God is close by. My father is close by to declare that the servant is innocent and stands in a right relationship with the law, being free from sin. Being free of sin. Who knew no sin. So everything he said about himself here, that is Jesus, as to his person and his work, are declared by the sovereign Lord to be true and just. So the verdict of the divine judge totally supports the servant. His enemies. Jesus' enemies thought he's paying for, he's being punished for his own sins. His enemies thought, ah, he must have done something terrible to experience what he's going through. But God's support for Christ shows they were wrong. Now, being sure that God is nearby to defend him, the servant, Christ, throws out a a daring challenge. Okay, since my father is supporting me and he's justifying everything that I am and everything I claim to be and everything that I do, who will dare now bring charges against me, huh? He's saying, is there anyone brave enough, bold enough to enter a legal suit against the servant to show that I am not what I say I am, that I am not what I claim to be? He says, let him come near me. He's challenging anybody. Because you see, he's got the Father backing him up. And that's where we stand this evening and all the time. No one, the enemy, Satan, cannot bring any charges against me because the Father is behind me. Therefore, Satan, you can't bring any charges against me. He said, he said, let them come near me now. He said, let us have this legal battle right now. He wasn't worried about it because he knows he would be supported and he would be defended by the Father. The servant, Jesus Christ, knew that obedience to his Father, that obedience to God is always a winning move. You can't go wrong. It kept Jesus going steadfastly all the way to the end. Verse 9, surely the Lord, notice again, surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. He says, see, the sovereign Lord's on my side. Who will declare me guilty? Who's gonna, who will say I am guilty? All my enemies are going to be destroyed like old clothes that the, uh, that the moths eat. Notice he says here, the Lord God would help, will help me. Underline that verse for yourself, man. The Lord God will help me. This is his confidence. This is our confidence. Isaiah gets our attention back on the Lord God again from the, whom the servant's help will come. 
And the servant cries, says, who is it then that's going to condemn me? Who's going to declare a sentence of condemnation against me? Others misjudged him. They were wrong about Jesus, like many are today. But God helped him. And his enemies, Christ's enemies, who seemed so powerful at that time, he says they proved to be as tough as a piece of cloth that, the, that moths eat. And when Christ's enemies stand in court to bring charges against the servant, they will be put to shame as easily as a moth eats up worn-out clothes. Verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. He says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? He says, if you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely upon your God. People who fear and obey God can still go through dark times. A great promise to claim in dark times of, a point of disappointment is here. The fear of the Lord means the true reverence or awe of God is the beginning of true wisdom. And Isaiah gives an appropriate ending here and even a rundown of the verses that we've just covered. He speaks to those among the people who fear the Lord and walk in darkness. They're to follow the example of the servant. They're to follow the example of Jesus Christ who spent many times in dark places. They're to follow the example of Jesus Christ and to place their total confidence in God. And if a person fears the Lord, he will also listen to the voice of God's true servant, Jesus Christ, believing what the servant says about himself and his mission. The servant's word is God's word because God has set the servant's mouth as a sharp sword. Matthew 17, 5 says of God, this is uh, Jesus, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His mother said in John 2, 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, speaking of her son Christ, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Mary issued a command to the servants showing that she had some status at the wedding feast about obeying Christ's orders, about solving the deficiency of wine. And you know, when she said, whatever he says you do, this command still applies today. It, is, it applies for all time. Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. That word whatever means whatever. <laughs> no, what about this? What did he mean? Yeah, whatever. It's a good way of using that word, whatever. Did Jesus say whatever? Yeah. It includes everything. If we want Jesus to work mightily in our life and solve problems for us, we will need a whatever submission. Lord, whatever you want. Lord, I will submit to whatever you want me to submit to. Just like Jesus submitted to the cross. Jesus doesn't do wonders for the disobedient. God does not reward disobedient children. And as a parent, you know that. If you're a good parent, you don't reward your children for disobedience. 
To trust in the name of the Lord is to trust in the Lord as He has revealed Himself to you. Here in the verse it says to rely on, that brings out the basic idea of, of, of having faith in Christ, specifically confidence and peacefulness in a person, the person of Christ. So those who fear the Lord and obey the voice of His true servant may still be going through dark times. Though you're obedient and you're obeying the servant of God, you may still be going through dark times. It does not mean that you won't go through dark times because you're being obedient to God. But like the servant, <clears throat> Jesus Christ himself, they too have to be subject to afflictions. And we have to follow our Lord through affliction and death that they may come to the heavenly city. Jesus gave us the, 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 this. These are promises that we don't, for the most part, underline. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, John 16, 33. Acts 14, 22, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, Paul said, no one should be shaken by these afflictions for yourselves know, you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Philippians 1.29, Paul said, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. There's the promises that we are going to have, go through afflictions, we are going to go through difficult times, we are going to go through suffering and, and persecution. But here's the Lord's encouragement. He said, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So we only have one course of action to take. Trust in the Lord who has revealed himself to you and to his ways and to his works and then lean upon your God for support who will never fail you. Verse 11. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled, this you shall have from my hand and you shall lie down in torment. He says, watch out, you who live in your own light and who warm yourselves by your own fires. He says, this is the reward that you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. You see, Jesus Christ is the light of the world and we are to walk in his light. But he said, watch out if you walk in your own light. First, he gives an encouraging word as he pleads with them. Then he gives a word of warning to those who walk in the light of their own fire, rejecting the one who is the light of the world and the light of men. Be careful when you reject the light of Christ. It's what God says that we need to know. And we need to walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. He's the light of men. And if we reject the one who is the light of the world, then we generally walk in the light of our own little fire down here. Remember, God is like that, that, that the, the, the burning bush. <laughs> the fire never went out. He's a consuming fire. He's an eternal fire. It never goes out. Our little light will go out. The Holy Spirit gives us this warning here. He says, you will lie down by that little fire of yours and end up in sorrow, which means you will be eternally lost. Hell will be where you end up. 
Listening to Jesus rather than to ourselves is a pretty scary way to live. No one likes living in the dark. And on the other hand, there's many kinds of, 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 of darkness in the world to live by. There are ways to dull the sharpness, the keenness, the awareness of Christian obedience. People light their own fires, like Isaiah says. That means they have their own ideas to live by. They do things their ways, their way. You know, why listen to Jesus? When there are reasonable and definitely easier ways to live. Some people sit in church and they hear sermon after sermon, but are they listening? Or are they thinking about what they're going to do when they're done here? Or what they have to do and what's waiting for them when they leave? Their lives are not set apart from the convenient, soft ways of the world to the obedient, dedicated ways of the Word of God. Why? Because they don't feel in their heart that Jesus can be counted on when it matters. They're making their own way or they're walking by their own light, their own fire. But we need to remember the, the drawback to that way of life. Solomon said in Proverbs 16.25, and here's the warning, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it, its end is the way of death. Proverbs 3, 5 and 7 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In closing, it says, look all you who kindle a fire. When He says, look all you who kindle a fire, that is a serious warning to those who walk in darkness and they try to help themselves find their own light. They're described as the kindling for a fire that is surrounding itself with sparks. Now, what does this mean? It means that when we're in darkness, we are tempted to find our own way without trusting in the Lord, without relying on God. And instead of allowing Him to help us, we try to do it our way. We try to help ourselves. And we look for natural light. Might be the advice of our friends. We rationalize our own conclusions. We think about it and go, okay, well, you know, I think this is what I'm going to do. And as a result, we're tempted to follow a path of deliverance that would not be of God at all. And the light we might see may be fires from our own kindling, as the verse 11 says. Or, or, or a deception that leads us towards the danger of the rocks like a ship on the ocean. It, it doesn't see the light that the lighthouse is giving, or, or there's no light, and that, that, that ship on the sea is heading for the danger of the uh, crashing on the rocks. And you know what? God will allow us to walk in the false light of those sparks. If we choose to, if we don't want the light of God, we don't want the, the light of Christ and we choose to, to follow our own light, God will allow us to walk in the false light of those sparks. But you know what? It's going to end in sorrow. Never try to get out of the dark places in life, those dark times, those struggling times, unless it's in God's timing. And it's in His way. 
A time of trouble and darkness is meant to teach us lessons that we desperately need. And if we get out of that dark place too soon, before God wants us to be out, it might cut short God's work that He's trying to do in my life. We need to turn the whole situation over to God and we need to be willing to stay in that darkness knowing that He's there with us. That's the key. Knowing He's there with us. Someone said, remember, it's better to walk in the dark with God than to walk alone in the light. And the point is, stop interfering with God's plans and God's will. And touching anything that's His work, hey, we'll ruin it. It's like moving the hands of the clock when the things, are, when you know you're in a, hey, it doesn't change the time. You can change the hands on the clock all you want, but it doesn't change the time. You might be able to rush what's going on. You might be able to rush, you know, some of the parts of God's will, some of the details of God's will. But you know what? You harm his work in the long run. You can force a rosebud to open, but guess what happens? You destroy the flower. You destroy the beauty of the flower. We need to leave everything to him. Everything. No exceptions. Jesus said, not what I will, but what you will, speaking to the Father. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you see, in order for God's will to come, my will has to go. Before God's kingdom will come, my kingdom has to go. Because there can't be two wills and there can't be two kingdoms. We have to choose. Father, once again, we thank you so much for this beautiful chapter, Father. We thank you for the wonderful servant prophesied here, Lord. And we thank you that he came. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to teach us more about him. And the Father, we would lean upon him. That we would walk in his light, for he is the light. As a matter of fact, in, in Revelation, it says that there will be no need for the sun or the moon because he will be the light. His glory. Let us walk in his glory as Moses saw his glory, or at least part of it. But it was so magnificent. Father, let us not fear those dark places in our life. Help us to remember that he's there with us in those dark places. Because he said, I will be with you always. And he never breaks his promise. He never fails in his word. So, Father, we thank you. We God, just praise you so much for all that you are and all that you do. And Father, we just love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sunday morning.